Welcome to the Life Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us for another hope-filled message. We pray that you're encouraged by this powerful word from our Sunday service. You know, guys, um, in some ways this might not make sense, but for a long time now, I've lost that desire just to preach a sermon. But to bring equipping to the body of things that really work and that we can apply in our lives. And at 66 years of age, I can look back and think that worked, that worked, that was just a fad. That was something that came and went. And today and tonight, I'm gonna be sharing some things that are very, very real to me and at the cost of sounding personal even tonight, I'm gonna share on being a community to reach a community. And I wanna share my own testimony of how God impacted my life in leadership 20 years ago to become outward focused to a community that needed help. And I wanna share some miracles because when we think the word miracle, we often think physical healing. But miracles are more than physical healings. They are God interruptions in our lives that change our perspective and change everything we do. The message I'm gonna share today can literally bring clarity and transformation to your life. It can actually stop you and stop me from bringing church in. And I know I say that a lot and being a true Christ follower. And this morning I pray you'll be encouraged by the simplicity of this, I encourage that you take some notes down and I'm gonna speak today on the subject, are you led by preference or are you led by conviction? There's a difference between living a life of conviction and a life of preference. We just been watching some of us and a lot of you have the Jesus Revolution movie. And I was watching an interview with one of the actors, the main actor, Jonathan Rumi, in his interview post the movie. And he said this, as humans, we are hardwired for God and community. As humans, we are hardwired for God and community. There's a hole inside of all of us that's made for God. And no matter what we do to try to fill it, it will never work. I know I've mentioned this a long time ago here, but Kerry Packer, the richest man in Australia before he died said, there's a hole in my heart. There's a black hole in my heart that nobody seems to be able to fill. The richest man in our country at the time had everything that money could bring or life could bring, much like Solomon in the Old Testament. And over the last few weeks, We've had two themes. One is a long-term one, which is discipleship. And the other one is community. And they are actually what this actor was saying. And discipleship will never work if the person receiving discipleship has not decided to follow Him and be a follower of Jesus. I'm involved in a lot of discipleship at the moment, but sad to say, and I don't wanna be negative, Sometimes when you challenge some things, people just walk away. And you think, well, what was that all about? And the fact of the matter is you keep going and you keep doing it, but you do realise 
that discipleship will only work if it starts by becoming a person of conviction and not a person of preference. Community will only work if we start with conviction. Having a cup of tea or a cup of coffee with someone after church, if the conviction isn't Christian koinonia and unity, it's just a cup of coffee and we can do that down at the local cafe. You know, having a meal after church on a Sunday night that only costs $6, you could probably spend a couple dollars more and go somewhere else. Unless there's a foundational belief that flows from what it really means to live a life of conviction. It's my deep conviction that most professing Christian Christians in the modern world today, not meaning to, live mainly by performance, uh, not performance, but by preference rather than conviction. In Daniel chapter 3, many of you that have been in church for a while will know the story of three young men that were told to bow before a statue made to worship the king of the day, King Nebuchadnezzar. They were young men of conviction that said, we will only worship our God. And being threatened to be thrown in a fiery furnace, they had no second thought. In fact, they were given a second chance to change their mind. Either you worship the statue or you will be thrown into a furnace. Can I read to you this morning their response, which is found in Daniel chapter 3, 16 to 18. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. You will notice all through the Scripture, there was a total respect in their no. There wasn't an arrogant, we're not doing what you want us to do, stuff you. There wasn't a stuff you. There was from your power, your majesty. But even if He doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gods that the gold statue you have set up. Incredible respect, but no bowing to someone else's preferences. I spend a lot of time right now with people that have left the church, not one or two, but quite a few, and they think they've left God. But it's not God they've left. It's actually the church they've left because they've never understood fully what is the purpose of the church, what our, what our, what are our convictions, sorry, about all these things. Because if we don't have a conviction about God, a conviction about the church, a conviction about one anothering, then we're just coming to events. And the church has got to be more than events. So convictions versus preference. There's a big difference between the two. In 1972, there was a landmark case called Wisconsin versus Yoda, an Amish man who won the right to keep his kid out of school because of his religious beliefs. The Supreme Court ruled that the only religious beliefs protected under the First Amendment were convictions were convictions. In distinguishing the difference between conviction and preference, 
it was noted that preferences can be negotiated. The court then noted there are five factors that are most likely to change a person's preferences. Number one, peer pressure. Number two, the influences of family members. Number three, the threat of litigation. Number four, the possibility of imprisonment. And number five, the thought of death. These things, these five things could change your opinion. Faced by the challenges, the number of people that today on both sides of the the ledger are those that are totally uh, rejected by their families because of their faith. People that get baptised and their families are so angry and yet they live out their conviction. And others that will give in to the preferences of those around them in order to stay in the crowd and not be sort of out there on your own because the crowd rules. Let me tell you, the whole woke culture, the whole cultures that we're in, a lot of those cultures that interpret the word whichever way you want, but the culture out there says if the whole majority is going for it, then it's got to be right. It's very hard today to stand out and say, but I see it like this, and then you get cancelled for saying it. And something has changed in our world because people are not living by deep convictions anymore, but what they preferred to do at the time. If what we believed at first was what we preferred and desired, but it changed along the way, it was just preference. Conviction is different and conviction doesn't change regardless of circumstances. Conviction is a God-given firmness of position that doesn't yield to any of the already mentioned factors. So let me tell you the characteristics of conviction today according to the outline, listen to this, not in the Bible. This is the outline provided by the court. And when you see this, you'll see that it is Bible, but it was by the court in 1972. Number one, Conviction is predetermined. It's not a spur of the moment decision. It takes time to come to the decision. The difference when someone prays a prayer to receive Jesus after they've had a conviction of who He is and after they've had a revelation of who He is, is very different for someone who prays the prayer and have had no conviction and no revelation. And then they'll say, I prayed the prayer two years ago. I prayed the prayer five years ago, but nothing changed in my life. And we can fall into the trap of calling that a decision. But it's not a decision, it's just a response for prayer. And we've got to keep praying and we've got to give people opportunities because we don't know when they are ready, but we can't put everybody in a box. We've got to wait for conviction to set in so that then there's proper follow me and follow Him because the church is burning out following following up people that don't follow Him. And we get sidetracked from discipleship because we're following up and chasing up people. Are you in church? Are you in church? Are you gonna come to church? You know what? If you've had a conviction of who Jesus is, you'll wanna be in church. You'll go on a journey where there's a transformation that takes place. Conviction is predetermined. It's not a spur of the moment decision. It takes time to come to that decision. It's a premeditated response. This is still under this one heading. It's a predetermined response to something that is likely to occur. So we're not sure how it's gonna go, but we know what we're gonna do whichever way it goes. 
at the cost of sounding self-serving and repetitive of this story, but I don't want to do it for that reason. But if that wasn't real, and I don't want to be superior to anyone here today, please, but if this wasn't real to me when I got cancer, I don't think I could have handled that journey. I couldn't have experienced the peace, the presence and purpose of Jesus at that time. It doesn't matter if others stand with us or not. Conviction is not conditional on who's hanging out with us or who's not hanging out with us. Only convictions can enable you to overcome alone. And this is all part of the court system saying this. People with preferences follow the crowd. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, or as someone said, um, you know, his shed, my shed, uh, you know, a roof rack and a bull bar, or his shack, my shack and a bungalow, I used to say. They refused to bow down and worship an idol. It wasn't a spur of the moment decision. They had previously purposed in their heart not to defile themselves. Number two, conviction is non-negotiable. In a moment, I'm going to share my non-negotiable convictions with you that I every day cannot deny, even when I'm being a jerk, even when I'm not being the person I should be, I go back to my convictions. I don't walk away from them. Conviction is not negotiable. When these boys were dragged before the King, as I said earlier, they were given a second chance. Hey, listen, if you change your mind and bow, you'll be okay. And they go, no, 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 there's no second chance. They were unmoved because of conviction. Many Christians would have seen this as a way out. They would have said, oh, wow, we're getting a second chance here. We're going to save ourselves from being thrown into a fiery furnace. Just off to the side, they made the furnace seven times hotter than normal. And all the people that threw these boys in the furnace died as they were throwing them into the furnace and they lived. You think at that point, the king would say, we better stop this. But they continued. And it says in, in Peter in the New Testament that we need to add to our faith. And there's seven things we have to add to our faith, which I can't, won't go into today. But just to say, when we get thrown into the furnace, if we are people of conviction, our faith gets to grow in that moment where we're being attacked and we can grow and not go or groan, but we can grow in the furnace of affliction. Many Christians would have seen this as a way out. Interesting, according to the courts, this is according to the courts, even if the possibility of change to your beliefs is evident, then that would be seen as evidence of preference and not conviction. This is the world. Number three, conviction is determined by confidence. The court said, if you need some indication that you're going to win your case before you are willing to stand up for your convictions, then you're only being led by preference. Wow. They had a confidence in God's ability to deliver them. One of the standpoints in our Christian life is do you have a but if not? God can heal me and I believe that He really can, but if not. The greatest breakthrough for me in hospital when the doctors weren't giving us a lot of hope was God, you can heal me. I believe there's still purpose in me to fulfil. But if not, I will not deny you. You will still be my Lord. That's faith, that's conviction. And I'm not saying that to be self-serving. 
Number four, conviction is lived out. A lifestyle that is consistent with professed beliefs is evidence of convictions. Our actions show that we really believe, as James says, faith without works is dead. I have an unshakable conviction that the patterns God has given us in the Word of God are non-negotiable. And yes, there is adversity because conviction will be tested, but it will stand, it will stand. As I talk to non-Christians or as I talk to people that have left the church, as I talk to people that are questioning God, I said from this platform a few weeks ago, I said, people have left the church, but they're actually coming back to Christ. Then they'll serve the church. But until Christ becomes the conviction, church will never be right. It will never be perfect. Right now, there's all sorts of beliefs and some of them are great about what church should look like. Some people go, mega churches are done, finished. We need smaller churches. We need, And I don't believe size is the issue. Substance is. Size is up to God. Substance is up to us. And so can I humbly share with you, and I say that sincerely, my very simple non-negotiables. There may be a few more. I don't think I, I started with four. As I started writing yesterday, I've ended up with a few more, but I'll give them to you really quick. Number one, Jesus Christ is God. You cannot tell me otherwise, I will die for this belief. In research, It's amazing how many people don't believe what they have never researched. Something they've never put the time into searching and go, I don't believe that. And you think it's a serious thing to not believe something. And, and, and people think because they don't believe it, it's not real. Now, just because you don't believe it doesn't mean you're right. Christ is God. The Bible is the Word of God and my roadmap to life. It's a commandment, it's a direction, not a suggestion. This is not buying the Woman's Weekly or whatever you buy and you go to the back page to read your stars. We call it the Book of Psalms. Everybody likes to open the Bible and read a Psalm that makes them feel good. That's a devotional, but it's also gonna be a non-negotiable when you read the whole Bible and not just the bits we like. The resurrection really happened. I believe it with all my heart. And this is the point that if I didn't believe this, I would choose my religion. I was standing in the foyer with Pastor Tony one day and I was standing there with him and someone went up to him because of his lovely hair and I'm a little bit jealous at this moment, but he's standing there and someone said, you look just like Jesus. And I stood there and said, no, I look like Buddha. (laughs) So like they could choose their religion right there. (laughs) But the resurrection really happened. And I hang everything on that in my walk. The next one, and this is a very deep conviction and it's a bit offensive to some, salvation must lead to serving. If you are saved, you will serve. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says, He died for everyone so that those who receive His new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. 
If we become like Jesus by receiving Him, the greatest test of a Christian is you go from being a taker to a giver. Instead of what will the church do for me? What will the teaching do? I don't get anything out of the preaching. Where's the deeper teaching? I've heard it for 30 flipping years. Deeper teaching. But if you're not gonna activate the simple things we hear, if we do not obey the revealed, God will not show us the concealed. And so I believe with all my heart today that we are saved to serve. We're not saved by serving. We are saved by grace to represent Jesus. I have a deep conviction we all have a God shape. Every one of us has been put on the planet with a gift. You can live your life to chase prosperity. You can live your life just to get provision. But boy, when you activate your God shape and you find your purpose, that's when life begins. That's the day you stop working and you start living for the rest of your life. And God made us that way. He made us to live our God shape. And our God shape can be activated in business. It can be activated in teaching, in nursing, in doctors, in removing our rubbish, whatever. From God's perspective, our God shape will make the planet a better place because we're activating. I have a deep non-negotiable conviction that God speaks today. Tonight I'm gonna share the story how 20 something years ago, God fulfilled a promise He gave me when He asked me to start the church. Out of Isaiah chapter 49, He said, you will restore Israel. And God said to me, there's lots of Christians that are disillusioned with the church and I'm gonna use you to bring authenticity back to the church through the gift I've put on your life and people are gonna come back to faith. And we saw that happen over and over again. He said, but then you're gonna go to the Gentiles. They're the people that don't know God. And you're gonna see a move. Um, five years into the birth of our church, our growth stopped being transfer and it started to become people coming in from the community. I can tell you the stories of the first people that gave their lives to God and still serving God today. It's, I went to a funeral uh, two days ago, I hadn't been back at my mother campus for a long time. And to see people standing there coming up to give us a hug and, and some of them go, you remember me? You remember me? And go, I'm, I'm sort of losing it a bit. I mean, I'm, I think I do. And as soon as they mention their name, oh man, it's you. And I remember the moment that they came to faith. Then he says, you will go to the nations. And I'm thankful that God enabled us to have impact around the world, which we weren't looking for. I didn't even know how we would do it. But out of that, we're able to birth a church in Bristol, England that's still going today. And God was amazing to us because we felt so unequipped. And yet God fulfilled His promise. He gave me the day He called me. And the last one, He says, kings will come and leaders will come and honour the work you do in the community. And, and the Prime Minister at the time, John Howard, made a decision to come to our church and it was like, you know, snipers on the roof and, you know, police cars everywhere. And, but came to thank us for the practical Christianity that we were doing for the community. Now, I could stand here and be totally up myself for saying that, but I couldn't care less. But I'm saying it was a fulfilled promise. God had said this would happen. 
and He's still speaking today. All these years later, He's still speaking. How could I ever walk out on that conviction when I know it to be true? I have a conviction that He's returning. No doubt about that. I have a conviction that we're called to partner with Him in building His church. I have a conviction on how that church should be built. Here it is in a nutshell. I believe every Sunday we should have a conviction that our corporate worship is important to God. When we were made to be worshippers, just go to a secular concert. Watch how the enemy gets worshipped. Watch how the devil has come up with an alternative for what God purely wanted for us. We were made to worship God, not Harry Styles. But anyway, just dropping a few names so you think I'm up there. He's already old school anyway. But you know, you watch people in concerts lift their hands, shout at the football, crying. Little kids bawling at the football because their team's losing. And somehow being passionate worshippers in church is corny. And it's like, what are they doing? Uh, fulfilling what we were born to do. And so we're called to come together as corporate worshippers. This morning, I know when we sing a song, I speak Jesus. How many of us can be adjusted by the Holy Spirit before the preaching even starts? Because maybe all week you haven't chosen Jesus or spoken Jesus. And we walk in and together we start to worship and the anointing comes and healing can happen in your soul in times of worship. So we're called by God. That's why the Bible says, do not forsake the assembling together as we see the day of His return. How on earth are you going to experience His anointing watching 10 minutes of a service online and then going off and having brekkie and then coming back and catching bits and pieces? And I'm not having a go this morning because some people have no alternative. And so we understand that and God has grace for that. But can I say this? If there's no desire in us to be a worshipper, our work is worship. David tell, David's father said, go and look after my sheep. He takes a guitar with him because he turned his work into worship. He turned his duty into devotion. And everywhere we go, which will be tonight's message, everywhere we go, we can be worshippers that the world sees our worship and goes, what is it that you've got? And so we come together for corporate worship, but we must come together for correct teaching. The Bible has ordained that the preaching of God's Word brings transformation into our lives. And so people go, oh, you know, we listen to a bit of this, we listen to a bit of T.D. Jakes and a bit of this and a bit of that. But if you're in a house where leadership has a conviction that we've got to feed the sheep. This week, I was awakened by God and said, go to Ezekiel 33 and go to Ezekiel 34. In Ezekiel 33, God says to Ezekiel, you've got to speak the truth. If people listen to it, they've won themselves and you are free. But if you don't give my truth, their blood will be on your hands. I don't say it self-servingly and I know I can represent Pastor Tony in this. We do not wanna stand and be an actor on a stage. 
We are here to bring God's Word because God's going to hold me responsible. But the next chapter, chapter 34, go and read it. There's your homework today. It says, to you leaders who serve the people for your own gain and you're in it to make yourself popular and you're in it to self-grow, make it all about you, I'm going to judge you. So there's a requirement from the follower and there's a requirement from the leader in Ezekiel 33 and 34. And I, I read over it and read over it and I said, God, I never want to get to the stage where I think I can just get up there and do it. Because the people need to be fed. And today, you know how much I struggled this week because I was going to preach a message this morning on the God of new beginnings and the God of the second chance. And I was so excited about it and lost my peace. And I had to come back to this. And so I believe it's important that we come together for corporate worship, correct teaching, if the musicians can come, please, and community connection. Now, the problem with the church at the moment is that we all got to reach the community, stuff everybody that comes to church, they don't need it. Or we just got to look after the church and stuff the community. And the fact we were made for both. We're made for, the Bible says, look after the believers first. There is a believer's need to be nurtured and cared for. And then there's also the caring of the community. That's the both. And I believe one of the reasons why God is changing church right now is that, you know, in fact, I'm rewinding. I got a phone call from a friend from California a couple of weeks ago. And he'd been to one of the mega churches. and, And I say this, I won't mention the name because you'd know the church if I mentioned the name. He said, it's absolutely packed. And he goes, the worship is outstanding. The teaching is incredible. He said, but the minute the meeting's finished, within five or 10 minutes, the building's empty. He goes, nobody knows each other. They come to get the teaching, but they give a rip about taking a moment, how you going and having a cuppa. And he goes, there's no community. What they do is they hang around with two or three friends and they go out to lunch with them but there's no getting to know the family. I've shared the story before of when we started a cafe at Edge Church and people were lining up to get cafe and food and the person standing in front of another person wouldn't even turn around and introduce themselves to the person behind them. It's supposed to be the same family. We're supposed to be God's family. I didn't even know each other. And that makes it feel to a younger generation that are searching for truth. It makes them feel it's just an event rather than an organic connection. So we're made for corporate worship, we're made for correct teaching and we're made for community connection. These last two for me are very personal and I've had to be tested on them. I believe I have a conviction that we reap what we sow. You reap anger, you'll get anger back at you. You reap unforgiveness, you get it'll come back to bite you even generationally. If we can't forgive in one generation, watch what happens to the next. And so we've got to, we, we've got to believe we reap what we sow. And the last one is God always vindicates truth. Might not be in your time and it might not be what Oprah would call her truth or what you might call your truth. There's only one truth. And God vindicates truth. There's four sides of every story. If I've got a major issue with Dan, 
There's my side and his side and then there's everybody else's opinion. And then there's the truth. And if we're ignorant, we become arrogant. And in that arrogance, we become distant. And in that distance, we detach ourselves. And I want to say, I live by those things. Ignorance of a matter. I'm dealing with some really difficult church situations at the moment. And there's people that hate my guts at the moment because of how I'm dealing with some of that stuff. Why? Because they're ignorant of what's going on. So then they become arrogant about what they know, that they don't know. And part of my Italian way is I'm going to show them. I'm going to get on the phone. I'm going to give them a piece of my mind. I'll give you the fivefold ministry right there. And I'm learning at 66, I'm a slow learner. Shut your mouth. Because if they're not prepared to find out what's really going on, then they're just gossiping and being critical because it gives them a good feeling that they're attacking you because they don't feel good about where they're at. It's gone very quiet in here. So in conclusion today, it's time to decide. It's time to declare. And it's time to demonstrate that we are a people of conviction or we are choosing to be that with all our mistakes along the way. Don't get me wrong, it's not perfection, but it is direction. We have a new Jesus coming to town. I am so convicted. The Jesus movement movie is not making it happen. It's a time in history. This is the greatest time in history to be representative of conviction Christians to a broken world where we have our non-negotiables where the world hasn't got a clue who they are. I've said it before. I'll say it in closing. It's my second closure. There'll be a third. But anyway... If we were convicted, if we were arrested for being Christians today, would there be enough evidence to be convicted? I want a Jesus that caresses me, but also corrects me. I want a Jesus that loves me, but also leads me. I want a Jesus that doesn't just connect with me, but He's allowed to convict me. I want a Jesus who gives me a Bible, not just as a devotional, but as a non-negotiable. Let's choose to live by conviction. Because if we do, our Christianity becomes more enjoyable. Our Christianity becomes so authentic to us and those around us. And we can last the distance. We can last the trials of life. See, if Jesus is God and then my son dies, if Jesus is God and then I get cancer, if Jesus is God and people go, why did God allow that? God is perfect. There's no injustice in Him. There's nothing in Him that would do evil to us. The number of counselling sessions that I get about, why did God? Don't blame God. Become a person of conviction because the God of the universe is not human and we've got to lift up to where He is, not bring Him down to where we are. And we're going to close, but we're going to sing that song again, I Speak Jesus. And this is what I felt. And there's no pressure whatsoever. If today you go, look, I've lived, I've lived out of preference a lot. I want to live by conviction, but I don't know if I've got it in me to do it. I believe moments that turn to movement in your life and bring momentum, but there is a moment that can start something. I believe it because I've seen it. You might want to come and stand at this altar while we sing this song and say, Holy Spirit, I need You. I need You 
to help me do what I can't do without You. The Christian life is impossible without God, without the Holy Spirit. And I'm gonna say, please, today, if you think, I'm gonna put a stake in the ground and I'm gonna say, I'm making a commitment to living my Christianity out of conviction and not preference. There's people in this room, I beg you to hear my heart. You need to forgive today. There's some of you in this room are hanging on to hurt and you're hurting yourself more than the person you're angry with. Will you choose Jesus today? Will you speak Jesus today over that hurt and say, I choose to forgive today because that's a conviction of what it means to be a Christian. Choose today to love someone you can't love naturally. To choose today that I'm gonna love by choice, not by feeling, because that's a conviction. You know, we need to love one another. doesn't mean we've got to like one another. I find it easier to love everybody than like them. But you know what? The liking will come if we start by the act of loving unconditionally. Thanks for listening to this podcast. We trust that you're encouraged by this powerful message. You always have a place to call home here at Life and we invite you to join us for our Sunday services at our Adelaide campus. If you'd like to know more about Life, then visit our website at lifeadelaide.org or download the Life Adelaide app and stay connected.